So, you know, pack a bag, and we're going off somewhere. I've arranged a babysitter, and so I think the children were taken off to the Bowens, and we got in the car, and I was like, oh, tell me where we're going. I'm so excited. No, it's a surprise. not going to tell you. We drive out of Swansea. We drive uh, out of Cardiff. We drive over the bridge. And I'm like, oh, you have to tell me. I'm so excited now. You have to tell me where we're going. And he said, well, I've booked us a night in Bath. And oh, now Bath, that's where we met, it's where we fell in love. It was like the resonance of romance. And oh, this was so exciting. <clears throat> I couldn't wait. And he said, Yeah, I looked up on the internet, it looks really nice. It's by the river, it's going to be great. So we drive to Bath, we drive through the city, we drive out the other side. And if you know Bath, you know it goes down. Um, when you come out of the city, through little country lanes, and it's very idyllic and beautiful. And as we started driving down, we drove down the hill, and we got stuck in traffic, very unusually, like in the middle of the countryside. And I could see <coughs> ahead, there was a little stone bridge. And this stone bridge, only one car could go over at a time. And so there's a whole queue until you're waiting for somebody to finally give way, because in Bath, you know, they don't like um, traffic lights or anything spoiling the view, so you just wait. And I turned, and to my left was this like grotty old pub-type place with like thick neck curtains. And you could see that these rooms went straight onto the bridge. That If you're in that room, the people queuing up in the bridge, we could all look into the rooms. So I was like, oh, look at that. That's pretty awful, isn't it? Hate to be there. Went very quiet in the car. <laughs> An indicator left. And in we went. <laughs> and I was like oh, uh, is this where we're staying? Because it doesn't look like it did on the internet. So anyway, I think, well, I can't be that bad inside, surely. So um, we got our overnight bags out the car, still like living in hope. And uh, we walk in, and it was like we walked into the 60s. There was this thick red carpet. Everything was like red and Tudor. And, you know, and there was a group of older men uh, sat over by the bar who looked like they'd been there for many years. And it was like, there'll be strangers in town. And they all looked at us. And uh, we walked across to the bar and waited for the landlady to come. And Juno goes, oh, it can't be that bad in the rooms. On the internet, it looked amazing. So when the lady comes, she gives us this huge key and uh, shows us to our room. And you've guessed it, it is the room with the view of the bridge. And we walked into the room, there's these thick old neck curtains, there's the queue of traffic queuing up past the window, looking in. And there were two single beds, either side of the room, <laughs> complete with bedspread. And uh, when the lady left, Julian went, oh, you know, I'm, I am so sorry, this didn't look like this on the internet. What, should we, what do you want to do? And I was like, shall we go? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, let's leave it. And I said, have you paid? Important question. No, I haven't paid yet. So we went back out to the lady and he made sure there was no charges. We handed the key back. And we drove into, Bris into Bath to get some dinner because by this time we're quite hungry. And it's like, you've got to handle your disappointment in that moment, haven't you? You've got to make a decision. Do we just go, oh, well, live and learn, you know, do a bit more research on TripAdvisor next time? We drove into the city, we had a lovely dinner, and then we're like, we don't have anywhere to stay, and we couldn't find anywhere, everywhere was fully booked. And as we drove out of Bath, there was a little light on a hill, a little farmhouse with a B&B &B sign, and we drove in, and the lady said, yes, I got vacancies. We went in, beautiful room, lovely view over the fields, clean towels, double bed, you know, everything was really nice. So I'm telling this story because I'm sure we all have our holiday nightmares, don't we? We've all done this. We've all booked somewhere, gone somewhere, uh, recommended a film to a friend, and then thought that was a disaster. We've all done something. 
So how do we handle our disappointment? Normally in life, it doesn't mean like for us to book a night away and it didn't work out, but then it did work out. It, you don't say to each other, we will never go away for the night again. After that experience of that old pub, we'll never, we don't say that, do we? Now, suppose you go out for a meal and it wasn't what you thought and it's, you know, maybe lukewarm or it wasn't very nice. It doesn't mean you never go out for a meal again, does it? You just might not go there again. We've all perhaps booked a holiday that said it was going to be great in the brochure and when we arrive it isn't. Or supposing you're continually trying to go for coffee with a friend who stands you up. That's a little bit more of a painful disappointment. But handling disappointment in our life is a life lesson we all need to learn. Because every day we may face bigger or smaller disappointments. And sometimes we have a dream of something, an expectation, and the reality disappoints. I love my picture here. Rob's going to bring it up of the stormtrooper. All those who love Star Wars. But there he is. He's just taking his hat off and he's having his breakfast in the local cafe. The other day I saw a meme online. And this meme said, the key to happiness is to have low expectations. I thought, how sad. That might be true. But how sad to go through life with low expectations, just in case I get disappointed. And it, the meme was kind of saying, if we expect nothing, we won't be disappointed. That's quite a sad approach to life, isn't it? It's quite a childlike response. And what we really want to do is build a mature response to handling disappointment. How can you and I in our life build a mature response? Sometimes it's a, a trivial disappointment. We're going for a picnic and it rained. And sometimes it's a painful disappointment, maybe something relational. Now, we teach our children, don't we, as a life skill. From the very earliest stages, when a baby or a small child is old enough to make their feelings known, they will let you know if they're disappointed or it's not quite what they wanted. And we teach our children as a life skill, don't we, that they can be overcoming and resilient and positive in the face of disappointment. Because if we don't teach them how to respond, they'll end up sulking or a tantrum or maybe even despair or a bottomless pit of making up for it. You know, because you dropped your ice cream, now we're making up for it with chips, now we're making up for it with sweets, now we're making up with it with extended bedtime, a bottomless pit. So for us as adults as well, it's important to move on from childlike behavior and learn to overcome when life's disappointments hit. If we don't do this, if we don't pay attention to this and actually strategically do these, this in our life, we can be stuck in cycles of immaturity and cycles of disappointment, where in the end, our attitude to the disappointment is worse than the thing that disappointed. And we can end up spoiling our life by our attitude to something that, in the end, the event itself pales into insignificance, and we might even not remember what kicked it off. So it's important for us to pay attention to this in our life. How do we handle disappointments? Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 this, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And he's talking here about our Christian maturity, learning to behave in a mature manner, and it's talking about our Christian faith in pursuing Jesus. Now, in our attic, we have a number of toys that when the children grew up, toys that they became too old for, I packed them up and put them in the attic in the hope of grandchildren. And so they're all up there. And yes, Josiah's not quite old enough yet, but you know, one day we'll be getting those down. Now, wouldn't it be weird 
Matthew, up in that attic, when he was a little boy, loved playing with toy engines and Duplo, which is like the big Lego. They're up in the attic. You imagine if every time Matthew called over the house, he texted ahead to ask me to get the Lego down. (laughs) How inappropriate that would be to be having a grown adult sit on the floor playing with trains and Lego. In the same way, that's what our inappropriate sulking looks like. It is Uh, We need an adult response to life, not like the thought of an adult sitting on the floor playing with children's toys. So let's pursue wholeness together in our attitude to disappointment. So today we're looking again at this is part three of healing. And when we talk about healing, we need to explore healing with faith and maturity because this can be an area of disappointment. And so like other areas of life where we don't give up but we move on in the same way we don't want to be stuck in disappointment when we look at healing. Healing and sometimes the disappointment of that doesn't mean we give up or we don't pursue it. And it's important with these talks on healing that we're doing this year is that they're all like parts of a pizza if you like. You imagine a pizza and you've sliced it all up and all these different talks are part of the pizza because you can't put everything into one talk. And so my talk today needs to go alongside Julian's number one talk on healing, which was the uh, theological foundation. Matthew's talk a couple of weeks ago, number two, on Jesus wanting us to follow in his footsteps in doing healing. And this one, they all fit together, okay? So I might refer to that as we go through. So let's look this morning at some little thoughts around healing and the challenges, okay? Here we go. So number one. We all know, and this is real, that some do and some don't get healed. We all know that. That's a fact. And it's important for us to understand as a church that when we come up here and we talk about exciting testimonies, it doesn't mean we're blind to the occasions it doesn't happen or we're not acknowledging that. But it's so brilliant when we are making progress in that that we celebrate it, don't we? Excuse me, I've got a little bit of a sore throat this morning. So, So here we see... These days, in pursuing healing, we see that most people, when we pray for them, get healed, and a few do not. Now, in the early days of praying, we've been in ministry nearly 40 years that come this summer. In the early days of praying, I would say one out of 10 person got healed. So we put the next uh, picture up. So mostly, people didn't get healed, not, not healed. It wasn't for want of praying, but a few did, and we celebrated that. But over the years, as we have pursued healing and pursued what Jesus has for us, we have seen a big change, not only in our own church, but as we've traveled around the world, we've seen many, many people healed. And it started to go up from 1 in 10 to 6 in 10, 8 in 10, 9 in 10. In fact, sometimes we would travel to somewhere and pray for the sick, and you could see that when people could see, it, maybe you're like on a camp, they could see healing taking place. Their expectation rose, and more and more people got healed every day. I remember that time in the Netherlands where there was a guy who, whose feet were so uh, disabled, he had to have special shoes, and he got healed. His feet were so normal, he couldn't use his expensive shoes anymore. He had to go out and get new shoes. We saw astonishing things. So it's good for us to understand we've had a big shift in our expectation. In fact, if we travel and go and pray not many people get healed, we come home and go, oh, only five people healed. Our expectation has changed because we are seeing something happen. And we are refusing to be held back by disappointment in not pursuing Jesus. Number two. Now, this is a really important one for us. 
<clears throat> there is a tension where we hold two truths at once at the same time. We hold these two truths together when we approach healing. And this is what it is. We are living in a fallen, broken world where death, decay, and sickness happens. That's one side. We know we're all living in a fallen, broken world. Earthquakes, sickness, death, a fallen world. And at the same time, we are living in the kingdom now and not yet. And we are living in those both at the same time, and we hold them in tension. This is maturity. This is maturity when we can hold two things that are true in tension together. Now, Jesus said to the disciples, they said, how should we pray? And Jesus said, pray like this. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what is the kingdom in heaven? No tears, no pain, no sickness, no death. Jesus says to us as his disciples, pray to the Father, your kingdom, no sickness, no death, no um, uh, pain, no tears, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's the pursuit of the kingdom. God, Jesus tells us to pray for that. When Jesus came, he brought the kingdom. He said this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he went around teaching about the kingdom. So when Jesus came, Jesus brought the kingdom with him, but it won't come in its fullness until he returns. So we are in the process. So our world, we have the kingdom now and not yet. It is here and it is coming. And in its fullness when Jesus returns. So we are living in this tension and we hold them together. Do you understand? Yes? So we hold them together. And this is how we approach healing. So it's a little bit like Christmas. Let me explain it uh, by Christmas. Okay. When I say Christmas, who in the room thinks the whole season of Christmas and who in the room thinks 25th of December? So let's go first. Who thinks, when you think of Christmas, you think of one day, 25th of December? Put your hand up. Oh, a few. A few very specific people who are very specific. And that when you say to them, this, this, and this, and I'll meet you at three, they mean on the dot of three specific 25th of December. Most people in the room, do you think of Christmas as the whole season? Yes. Do you want to put your hand up? A little bit of audience participation. Yes, lovely. Now, for some people, that season might be the month of December. For some people, mentioning no names, it might be middle of October. That they start to put their tree up. Yes, you know who you are. Some of you here, you know. And so, you know when the summer is ended and the summer sales are finished and you walk into Tesco and there in the first aisle in September is wrapping paper, Christmas wrapping paper. And then by October, a few brave people have put a tree up. Some people have started to put their Christmas lights up on their house. And as you drive around, even in September and October, there's signs of Christmas coming. And then you move into November, it's starting to build up. December, definitely drive you know, down from our building in Penland through Blind Mice, every house, never mind the electricity bill, all the houses are lit up. Until finally, it culminates in Christmas Day where we eat turkey and give presents and we might have a tree and all those type of things. But it's actually a whole season. There are signs of Christmas. 
This is like the kingdom. When Jesus came, he came back and he said, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is close. The kingdom is here. Now we know the kingdom will finally be fulfilled like Christmas Day when Jesus returns. But right now, you and I, we are living in a season where there are signs of the kingdom and we can see them and we can see it break out and we can pursue it and we can pray for it and we can live in it and we can choose to. And while we hold intention, the broken world we live in, we also hold intention. We're living in the kingdom in the now and the not yet. And we hold those two together. And we don't let disappointment put us off and let one outweigh the other. But we hold them together in tension with hope and faith and being real. So this is the important thing to grasp for us as a church. We are pursuing healing because that's who Jesus is. Look at uh, the first two talks in this series. We are pursuing it in reality and with faith, knowing we're in a broken world, but also in a in a world where the kingdom is breaking through now and not yet, and the signs are increasing. And I think we're in like early December already for the signs of the kingdom. Number three, this is something that can affect our faith or we can be discouraged, is when we're waiting, when we're waiting to be healed, and we're waiting and we're waiting. So some years ago, we ran a, a project with young people dropping out of school, on our way home one day, we took them for burger and chips. Now, it's not exactly my favorite thing, burger and chips, was just joining in and had a burger. Halfway through the burger, I thought, hmm, something about this burger is just not right. And I went home, and I was ill. I was ill for weeks. After the third week, I went to the doctor. They said, we can't really find anything, but you, you seem to have become, like, allergic to food. And I was like, yes, I know, like, all food. This went on for months. It went on for months. I was drinking, like, thin soups. I, I couldn't, I definitely couldn't eat, like, chicken, dairy, uh, milk, eggs, anything like that. But I just couldn't, I just couldn't manage food anymore. Something had changed inside me that I couldn't manage, and the doctors couldn't do anything. So as a family, this affected us all because maybe we're on holiday and we go for a little ice cream or something. We sit down in a cafe and if you put your arm on the table and it was a bit sticky, Julie would be right, that's it, get up, we're all going. We'd all march out of the cafe because all the family knew if I got sick, it started with like a headache and trembling and then I would just be really horribly ill, just like it was like being poisoned and I could be ill in bed for a week, two weeks, three weeks. It was just horrible. It affected our life. And we prayed all the time, and I was waiting and trusting and hoping and waiting to be healed and praying, and people had prayed for me. And then one night, we, a friend of Julian's called Sam, who used to be in the Ghanaian army, and he had this amazing conversion. He became a pastor, and he and Julian were in Bible college together, and uh, I got to meet his wife as well, and we'd all meet and have their lovely Ghanaian food, and he was an amazing guy. And they had had healing breakout in their church, and Julian said, Sam, come up and preach, and this is when we were in the Penland building. So he came up to talk to our church about the pursuit of healing, what was happening in this church. So somebody drove me up. I remember in the worship, I remember clinging onto the seat in front of me like this, so ill, just like white as a sheet. And I was in an episode of being ill. And I was just clinging on. I thought, oh gosh, I should have stayed at home. I shouldn't be here. And I thought, no, this is exactly where I should be. Because healing is going to take place, and I should be here, even though it feels so bad. And I remember Matthew was just like a few seats down from me, and he kept looking up, checking if I, you're right, you're right, not really, you're right. So anyway, Sam started preaching. In the middle of his preach, he said that the previous Sunday, 
There was a lady, a, a young couple in their congregation who'd had a baby, and the baby had been born blind. And in the middle of his sermon, this lady couldn't bear it any longer, and this young mother just interrupted the sermon and walked up the aisle and said, Pastor, would Jesus heal my baby? And Sam said, you know, everyone was looking at him and the mum and the baby. And he said, in the name of Jesus, eyes be opened. And the baby's eyes opened. And the baby was cured of blindness. And in that moment when he said that, I knew, I just knew God was going to heal me. And that healing happens. And something clicked inside of me. And at that very moment, I started to feel like a, a deep pressure in my insides, sort of like in lines, like this right through my insides. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, don't, I didn't know healing could be so painful. And then it stopped, and I completely felt better straight away, just like that. Everything went completely better. And I remember Matthew looking down the aisle and going, what's happened to you? You could just see it. And then Sam stopped preaching. He was like, someone here has been healed of a serious stomach condition. Who's that? And I went, oh, that would be me. <laughs> And I was healed that day. We went home that night, and the thing I'd missed the most was shreddies. I love a bowl of shreddies, really cold milk, tiny little sprinkling of sugar. Probably don't have the sugar these days, but in those days, a bit of sugar. That was my favorite thing that I'd missed. All these years, I couldn't eat. That was the thing I longed for. And we went home, and I poured a bowl and got the milk, and all the family like, do you think you really should? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I know. I'm just, I know I'm healed. I ate it, and I've eaten anything I want since. Isn't that amazing? But the waiting was hard. The waiting and the waiting, and some of you are waiting. Don't be discouraged in the waiting. Every day is a day of faith. Every day is a day of the kingdom coming. Let's spend every day in thankfulness and not be put off. Number four, the penny drops. Now, I don't know how to explain this one, really, but do you remember many years ago now, an old science fiction film called The Matrix, made in 1999, a blast from the past. Now, when this film first came out, the special effects were, like, so amazing, we were all blown away by the special effects. And in this story, it's an interesting story, Neo, uh, played here by Kino Reeves, um, Neo... He, he discovers, by one way and another, that the world that he lives in isn't actually real. It's a construct. And he realized that this is like a constructed world, and there's a world outside of it. And with that knowledge, nothing changes in the world except what's in here. He, when he realizes, like the penny drops, suddenly he is not bound by the rules of this construct, and he can even stop bullets before they reach him. And all that has changed, nothing changed in his world, but something changed in his thinking. And something needs to change in our thinking. That's where it starts, with understanding the kingdom. Because we live in a real world made by God. God is the creator. But the penny needs to drop that God has authority over his creation. He created this. But it's not like as hard and tangible and fixed as we think. Because God is outside of his creation, and he can do anything he wants. So think about Jesus walking on water. You can't walk on water, can you? But Jesus can. Jesus did walk on water. We talked the other week about those missionaries who walked on water. This is like outside the rules. Think of the time when Philip got transported. Do you remember that time when there was this Ethiopian official, and he was on his way home, and Philip is sent to run alongside the chariot, and he gets in and he explains all about Jesus, this Ethiopian official. 
the Ethiopian official gives his life to Jesus. He says, what's to stop me getting baptized? Jumps out, they get baptized, he gets baptized in the river straight away. And then something strange happens straight away. In Acts 8, it says this. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the official did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is not normal, is it? This is outside of normal. You know, one minute Philip's there, he's doing a baptism, he's just getting dried off, and God whisks him away, he's transported to another town. This is a penny drop moment for us to know that God is outside. He created everything, and he rules, and he's in charge, and he can change anything in a moment. And when we realize that and stop being fixed on what seems to be fixed and static and hard, it isn't. It's a penny drop moment to get a glimpse and see with the eyes of faith. In Jeremiah 32, it says this, I am the Lord. I am the God of all people. Is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for me? No, it's not. And I want us to choose to study this at this time. Choose to study it, take it on board. And I've brought at the back here Bruce's book on the kingdom. Easy to read, brilliant book. I would love everybody in this room to read it. It's normally £10. I got it for half price off Bruce for a fiver. There's a card machine at the back. Please buy one on your way home and read it and start reading it. If there's anyone here that cannot afford £5, we will buy it for you. But it would be great if everyone can read this book and we all share this understanding together. Now, God has given us authority when we pray. He has given the authority to us when Jesus went back to heaven. Now, I want you to think about the example of the paralyzed man. Do you remember the time when the religious leaders, they were outraged with Jesus that he forgave a man's sins? And this is in Matthew 9. It says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their face, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. <laughs> how amazing, how brilliant. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God who had given such authority to man. Now, there's two things to, to see in this passage here. The first one was the religious leaders had a problem with the sins. They had a real problem with Jesus forgiving sins. They didn't really mind about the healing. It was the forgiving the sins. Now, for you and I, we have been raised in a culture where we accept the forgiveness of sins. You have faith, don't you? You and I, we have faith that when we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have faith, don't we? You and I have faith. If you brought a friend today and that friend said, I want to give my life to Jesus, Jesus, forgive me for my sins, come into my life, make me new. You have faith that your friend will be coming into the kingdom. We don't have a problem, do we? Because we have been raised to understand and embrace it for hundreds of years, that if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and forgives us our sins. Is that true? Yes, you have faith for that. It is the same faith for healing. It is the same faith. 
but we've gone through hundreds of years of the church being in a dark age of not seeing much healing. And so our faith hasn't been stimulated or grown in that area. But it's the same cross. It's the same faith. It's the same Jesus. It's the same authority for our sins and for our healing. Now, these guys here, they're struggling with the healing bit, no, with, the, with the sins bit. Why don't we apply the same faith we have? We take it by faith. There's nothing visible to see, but we take it by faith that Jesus has forgiven our sins and we're cleansed. And we use that same faith to understand about healing in the kingdom. The same cross. I love that. The other thing in this is the, is the authority to man. They could see that when Jesus prayed, he was using God's authority. And Jesus has delegated that to us. And the crowd were amazed at the healing, yes, but it says they were amazed that, that God had given a man such authority. You and I, we walk in that authority. Jesus gave it to us that we can do the things he did and greater. Okay, number three. Let's move on to the next one. Number three, I call this the who, um, not as in the band. On the 5th of November, 1999, my mum got rushed into hospital in terrible pain. My nana phoned me and she said, I think you better come down. Um, Mum's gone into hospital for an emergency operation. This is my mum here with me when I was like, I know, one, one and a half. And uh, I drove down to Chichester where, where my mum lives and she's in hospital. And I stood in the corridor with a surgeon and uh, he explained to me what had happened and that my mum's condition was incurable and that she had weeks, maybe months to live. And he said, I can explain it to her or you can and I would rather you did. And I had to go in there and explain to her, which is the worst thing I think I've really ever had to do. And a little over three months later, on the 24th of February, 2000, I sat on her bed with her as she died. She had a tremendous faith in Jesus, knew where she was going, I rang for her pastor just before she died, and um, he came round and he sat there with a Bible on her pillow, with a reassurance of heaven and her sins forgiven and a place in heaven. And as he left, I went and sat on her bed, and my brothers were there as well, and she just stopped breathing and died. And what had happened is some years before, she'd had ovarian cancer. We thought it was cured, but it was actually remission. And then the cancer came back and went to her bowel and went to her liver. When they did the operation, they found cancer was just all through her insides. Now, during this period of time, my mum lived a good, like, 212 miles away. So it's like, you know, 400-mile drive type thing. And I was working on the Gap at the time and helping pioneer the church. And every weekend, I would drive home to look after my mum and care for her. Sometimes a Thursday night or Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, come home Sunday night or Monday, back on the Gap on Tuesday. I remember those days driving just with tears running down my face with many why questions in my head, many questions about why. And my mum over the years had seen many healings, believed in healing, and she asked me to pray for her right to the end. Now, I loved my mother dearly. We were so close. It was like best friends. I loved her so deeply, and I was devastated when she died, and it took me a very long time to get over it. And even now, when I think it's coming up to like the 23-year anniversary in a week or two, um, the other night, I, I woke up after a dream. I had a dream as I was waking up, and I was in the back of a taxi, and I was trying to text her to meet up for coffee in this, in this taxi, but my subconscious 
was like warring with me with this raw pain and the pain of knowing, no, I couldn't ever contact her again. And I woke up crying and I was like, oh, gosh, so the pain, those of you share this pain who have had friends and relatives pass away, especially at an untimely time. My mum was only 59 when she died. And I, I'm sharing this to let you know. I mean, in that time period, after that, Julian's sister died in her 40s, my twin brother uh, at 39, my nana. We went through a period of losing close friends and family. And I want you to know that we understand the pain of loss and disappointment. When we preach on healing, it's not in any way taking away the pain or the disappointment, as many of you have experienced as well. But we also know the joy of being healed and seeing people healed. And in this season, I decided within myself that I would never let past disappointment rule my future. I will not let it, however painful it was. And through that painful experience, I found that when we can't find the why, all we know is the who. And that's all I held on to. I know who God is. I know who he is. He is a father. He is loving. He is caring. This is not his intention. This is why we need to go back to healing number one, healing number two talks, to discover what God thinks. We know God's character. We know who he is. And this applies to many tragedies in life. We don't know the why, but we know the who. This isn't who God is. He's a God of love and care and compassion. We live in this broken world, but the kingdom is coming. We hold them in tension. When Adam and Eve fell and the, you know, uh, uh, sinned and the, the world fell, the world went into sin and decay, nature as well, straining. Sin, decay, sickness and death entered this perfect world. When Jesus came back and died on the cross and rose again, he defeated death that he could bring in the kingdom and start to bring that restoration. So you and I, we are living in the season of the kingdom now, right now, and God wants us whole. So let's listen to talk one and two. But when we don't know why, we know who. I want to encourage all of us here to press forward, not give up. If you're still waiting, if you haven't seen it yet, if you've lost a loved one, let's not allow past disappointment to hold us back from all that God has for us, but to press forward into the future. Number four, our response. In church history, we could see that in the pages of scripture, you can see Jesus healing in the everyday. And then in the Acts of the Apostles, we see the apostles and the disciples and others healing and miracles every day. And then the early church. And then the church kind of went into the dark ages. And we've had hundreds of years of teaching that the gifts ended with the early church. But this is not true because the words of Jesus still stand. And Jesus says this in John 14, very truly. Now, when there's anything that's truly, truly, or truly, I say to you, that's like an emphasis. But when it's very truly, that's big emphasis, okay? So it's big emphasis. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, this is what I feel in my heart for you and I as Cornerstone at this time. I believe we are birthing something. And it's uncomfortable. Any woman who's carried a baby here, you know, you're all excited at first, a bit sick probably, but then it gets uncomfortable. And towards the end, you're carrying this baby in your body. You can't sit down. It's really uncomfortable. You can't get comfy when you lie down. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Carrying something, birthing something. And I think you and I, we are part of birthing something that brings back the reality of Jesus in the kingdom. 
And we've seen pockets of it all through, the, all through the world and all through the years. But right now, in the 21st century, you and I can be part of this journey. We have a history that says, I'm not sure, it doesn't, or no, this is uncomfortable, this is disappointing. What if you and I grasp this and go, we are not having this for our children, our grandchildren, their children, and future generations? Just like people once thought, People can't get saved anymore. How do you become a Christian? Okay, we've known that for years now, but healing is still fragile with people. What if you and I change that? What if we so embrace a Jesus life that the generations after us have healing in the everyday and go, oh, do you know, a couple hundred years ago, my grandparents, great-grandparents, they didn't really have healing. They only had glimpses of the kingdom that we bring a new day. We can do that. We need to let the penny drop to embrace it, to understand. And I think that's a challenge for us to forge a new day together, that one day healing will be every day, and we will be the generation that grapple with it. And I don't think it's going to take hundreds of years. I think it could be 2023. We can start it right now. There's no reason. Please get Bruce's book. Please read it. Please listen to these talks over again. Let's pursue what Jesus has for us in its fullness. And the challenge is, will we be part of it? Not be put off, not hold back, but model our life on Jesus. Together, we can create a high-faith climate where healing happens easily. This is what happens. When people see healing happen and they have confidence then faith rises and, faith and healing happens more. Do you remember when we, we studied Jesus' brothers or Jesus' siblings? And we did a study and Jesus went back to his hometown and he was despised, wasn't he? Do you remember they rejected him? Uh, if we go to the next slide, it says in Mark, this is what's... They scoffed, this is the locals. Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in Jesus. And he could not do any miracles there. This is Jesus. He couldn't do them except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And so because in the town there, they had such a lack of faith, even Jesus couldn't do many miracles. But in contrast to that, in Capernaum, they absolutely accepted him. And the village all came out. And if you remember what happened... Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Probably everybody knew about it because they all live like sort of outdoors and stuff and everyone knew each other. She got healed. And so when the sun sets, because they probably weren't allowed to travel till then, it says that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Can you see the difference? The Nazarenes there the Na in Nazareth, they didn't believe, they scoffed. Even Jesus couldn't heal. But over here in Capernaum, they saw Peter's mother-in-law got healed. By dinner time, the whole town is at the back door. And Jesus can just heal the sick. And I want to encourage us, let's be a Capernaum, not a Nazareth. Let's be a community of Capernaums. Let's do that. Let's invite it. Let's know it. Let's raise our faith. And what will happen is that we will see more and more healing happen as we raise the faith climate together. So be courageous. And lastly, just to say that healing is a key part of mission because it reveals, it's a sign. So our focus this year, community, mission, and miracles. And of course, miracles belong in mission. And so 
Healing is such a part of mission because it's visible. People can see it. And people, it reveals that God is real and he cares. Now, people are watching. They're watching your life. In work, they're watching. They're watching you. They're watching. And often, it's actions that speak louder than words. Now, I love a few years ago, Bruno Mars um, brought out this song, Uptown Funk, and the chorus of it is, don't believe me, just watch. Now, in my dreams last night, I was singing in public. That is a nightmare. And I think maybe this like, got in my system that somehow I thought I was going to burst into song, but I will save you that horrible <laughs> sound and view. But you know that song, don't believe me, just watch. Don't believe me, just watch. And I think that is what healing does. It's like, okay, don't believe me, but just watch. Just watch the miracles. Watch the signs. Now, there was a time in John 10 where... John records that one winter time, Jesus was walking through Solomon's colonnades, and the religious people caught him, and they were angry, and they were trying to catch him out and stone him, and he was having this really difficult debate with them, and he turned around, and, and I think he must have been so frustrated, he turned around and said, even, even if you don't believe anything I say or who I am, believe what you see. Uh, it says this in John 10, Jesus says, even if you don't believe me, believe these works. Look at the signs. Don't believe me, just watch. And in the same way, do you remember when John the Baptist, the disciples, he was in prison, and John's disciples uh, were with, went to visit him in prison, and he said, go and ask Jesus, are you the one? So John the Baptist's uh, disciples, they go to Jesus, they go, John is asking, are you the one? And Jesus says, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, um, the deaf hear. You know, he's saying, take it back to John. Look at the signs. So when we pursue this, it makes mission easy too. The words speak and the evidence, it's evidence that this kingdom is real. So to conclude, this is the end now. I'm going to include a few little points. The challenge for us right now is to live a Jesus-shaped life. Jesus is inside of us. As we live our daily life, can we live in the compassion of Jesus? See with his eyes. When we see someone sick or struggling, we're not afraid. We're more Jesus-like than afraid of what will they think. But we go, can I pray for you? Can I help you? Do you have a headache? We live out his compassion and healing. Give it a try. Don't hold back. I loved it Tuesday night small groups together where we practiced how to heal the sick. Number two, let us become mature in handling disappointment in all aspects of our life. Let's grow up to maturity. Number three, carry the tension in both hands. Carry it. Know that it's true. But don't let the weight of it hold us back. We know we live in a fallen, broken world, but we are living in the signs and the season of the kingdom. Next one, I can't remember, one, two, three, but number four. <laughs> Hold on to faith even when it's painful. We understand what that's like when we are waiting. Let's be real and let's be wise. And lastly, let's pursue healing and miracles like Jesus and bring a new day that those coming behind us will benefit from us holding on to this and saying, I will not let go. And I will pursue this till it becomes every day like the life of Jesus. And that Christians who come later than me will live in a world where they can see people healed and come to faith because we were willing to take on 
the hard graft of birthing something. And I want to encourage you, don't let disappointment hold you back. Know the temptation to do that. But let's not do that. Let us carry on pursuing Jesus and all that he has for us with all our might. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you have rescued us, that you have forgiven our sins, that we have a life with you. I thank you, Lord, that you forgive our sins and you've come to heal our bodies too. And I ask, Lord, that together we're able to grasp onto this and hold onto this, looking to you to help us and school us and train us, that we can be true disciples. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us your authority I ask, Lord, you'll help us every day to see those opportunities and to be brave. And we ask, Lord, that you would do something amazing among us as we give ourselves to this. In Jesus' name, amen.